Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. No one can really know how evil they really are. We would never dream that we are as evil as we are. We might even look at certain types of evils and we might say, well, man, I can tell you for sure I would never do anything like that. But did you know that under certain circumstances, you might very well find yourself doing the thing you swore you never would do? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 7, verses 18 through 23, in a message titled, The Heart of the Problem. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we're back today in our study through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look at a few things here in this section, and then we're going to look more specifically at verses 18 to 23. But let me start with this. In response to a newspaper article that had asked the question, this was a long time ago, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton wrote this. Dear Sir, Regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. I am. That's what he said. What's wrong with the world? Chesterton said, I am. And if the truth be told, that is really the answer to the question. What's wrong with the world? We are. What's wrong with the world? The problem is within us. And Jesus tells us here, in the passage that we read, that the problem of evil is not something that is out there, but rather it's something residing in the heart of each and every one of us. Now, in theological terms, this is what we know as the doctrine of the depravity of man. And the depravity of man does not mean that people are not capable of doing anything good. What it means is that at the the core of our being as people, we are broken. We are ruined. We are sinners. And so this doctrine of the depravity of man, this is the great dividing line between humanism with its insistence that people are basically good in the core of their being, and the biblical worldview that says that men and women are ruined, broken, and evil at the core of their being. So evil is a problem of the heart, which is the heart of the problem. So the heart is the heart of the problem. So that, that's what we're going to look specifically at today. But before we do that, there are just three things I want to touch on really quickly from the text that we read. First of all, notice as we read through the text there, there were a few references to the tradition of the elders. So this comes up as we go through the Gospels, the tradition of the elders. And, you know, so the Pharisees, they were offended because the disciples of Jesus weren't following the tradition of the elders. 
And then Jesus made reference to the tradition of the elders. What, what is the tradition of the elders? Well, this was something that was, although at this time it wasn't a written code, it was an oral code. And, and it was very binding in the minds of the religious leaders of the day. So the, the written word of God, of course, uh, came to them through Moses and the prophets. But over a few hundred year period of time after the Babylonian captivity, they developed this tradition that was placed on top of God's word. And their thinking about it was that they would, because the, the nation had you know, slipped into idolatry so many times and the nation had fallen under judgment, their idea was we are going to put a fence around the law so that you're going to have to hurdle this fence before you can even get to the law. So they're going to kind of protect the law from being broken. They're going to protect people from actually breaking the law by, by putting these traditions around it. But here's what happened. After time, it was indistinguishable between what, was, what God had said and what men had said. And so by the time of Jesus, the tradition of the elders in the minds of the Jewish leaders, it actually had more authority than the written word. And we see that here because Jesus talks about how they, they blatantly contradicted what God had said in order to keep their commandment. Now, today, if you're familiar at all with, with Judaism, Judaism has um, what's called the Talmud. And the Talmud is a compilation of many of these things that were at one time known as the tradition of the elders. So in the time of Jesus, this was an oral law, but it, it later was put in written form. And it came in, uh, first of all, the Mishnah. The Mishnah was a commentary on the, on the Torah. And then there was the Gemara, which was the commentary on the Mishnah. And then the rabbinical literature and writings and so forth. So if you talk to a religious Jewish person today, they're going to make reference to the Talmud. And, and so it's in the Talmud that we have these kinds of things that Jesus was, was actually combating at the time. So that is what the tradition of the elders was. Then, in reference to the, to the tradition of the elders, I want you to notice Jesus refers to them in verse 7 as the teaching and commandments or the doctrines and commandments of men. So as far as Jesus was concerned, this tradition had zero authority. Now, this is where the conflict would come between Jesus and the elders. You know, when you're reading through the Gospels, you find these times where they're accusing Jesus of breaking the law, and it kind of seems like he is breaking the law. Well, he is. He's breaking their law. He's breaking their interpretation. Jesus did not see this as binding in any way, shape, or form. He referred to these things, the, the, the tradition of the elders, he referred to them as simply the doctrines and the commandments of men. So as far as Jesus was concerned, they had no authority. Now, this was a huge issue in this period of time, but this has been perpetuated throughout the long history of the church, not in the exact same way, but the church and even individual 
you know, denominations or even individual congregations can develop traditions that at a certain point, they seem like this must be what God said because it's so enforced, it's so emphasized, it's so talked about. But like Jesus, we need to look at those things and say, those are just the doctrines and commandments of men. And some are okay, and there's nothing the matter with tradition, it, at least not just, you know, just because it's tradition doesn't mean it's, it's wrong. But if, if the tradition supersedes what God has said in his word, if the, the tradition comes along and begins to restrict the people of God from the, the liberty that they have in Christ and things like that, that's when it becomes a problem and that's when it needs to be disregarded. And that's what was happening at the time of Christ. And so he, here in verses six and seven, you know, he, well, actually in verse five, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So that was their tradition. To eat bread with unwashed hands was, it was, a, was a grievous sin in their understanding. But notice how Jesus responded. He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. This kind of worship, Jesus said, was vain. It was worthless. It was unacceptable to God. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So certain traditions are good, and we appreciate them. We respect them, you know. We honor them, but we never want to elevate them above what God has declared in his word. And sometimes it's a good practice just to kind of just break down the tradition. And especially if you see it beginning to, you know, solidify in such a way that it's, it's really hindering what God has clearly stated in the scriptures. So one other thing here that I want us to note Jesus said here in, it, it's actually a, a little note that's added by Mark. Uh, verse 18, it says, so he said to them, are you thus without understanding? He's talking to the disciples here now because they, they weren't quite understanding what was going on. He said, are you, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, here is what I want to point out, thus purifying all foods. This is Mark's note on what Jesus just said. And Mark concludes from this that all food is now purified in the sense that there's nothing now that's unclean from the standpoint of food like it previously was under the Mosaic system. So Jesus just released everybody from the dietary restrictions that were part of the Mosaic law. And so, but we know from our study in the book of Acts, for example, we know how the Jews, you know, they really clung to these traditions. And even the apostles themselves, some of them, after they had received Jesus as a Messiah, they still struggled with the, the dietary things. Those traditions and uh, those, those previous laws were so ingrained in them. But Jesus liberated 
everyone from those food laws that are found in the book of Leviticus is where they, the majority of those are, are mentioned. And the only reason I bring this up is because astoundingly, some in the church throughout the ages have adopted the dietary laws and placed them on believers in Jesus and you know, sought to bring them into conformity to these things. And why, why would we ever do that? Some of you have heard of the Seventh-day Adventist. And the Seventh-day Adventist are people who, there's, there's kind of different divisions among the Seventh-day Adventists now. There are those who are very rigid and very strict and conforming to the ideas of the founder of Seventh-day Adventism, Ellen G. White. And, and that is really more kind of cultic. And then there are those who don't adhere so closely to that. There are those who, who definitely put more of an emphasis on Jesus and the gospel, but they, they still will oftentimes abide by the dietary rules. And um, I remember when I was living in London, there was a restaurant in town and it had a really interesting food. You know, you just go in this restaurant, like what, what kind of food is this in here? And come to find out it was a restaurant that was owned and operated by Seventh-day Adventists. So they had a menu that really, you know, conformed to kind of the mosaic dietary code. Now, if, if you want to go into Leviticus and develop a menu based on Leviticus, you're perfectly free to do that. But the moment you think that that is something that determines your spirituality or that's going to bring you closer to God or push you back further from God, that's where everything goes bad. And so we just have to know that there, there are no dietary restrictions that apply to believers with any spiritual significance. And Mark just puts that little footnote in, Jesus purified all food with that statement there. So now let's go back to what we really want to focus on here today, and that is just this whole issue of the heart being the root of the problem. And, and let me read again from verse 18 on to the end. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding? Also, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. So, this here, like I said, is a statement to the effect that, that the heart of man is corrupt. Now, now, Jesus is only restating what has already been said by the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah said this. He said, the heart 
is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, or another translation is incurably sick. So this is the prophet Jeremiah. He's, he's diagnosing the, the heart of, of man, uh, deceitful above everything else, desperately wicked, incurably sick. And then he, he goes on, and of course, Jeremiah is a prophet, so he's speaking for God, and he says, who can know it? And, and what's implied there in the question, who can know it, is the implication is no one can really know how evil they really are. We would never dream that we are as evil as we are. We, we might even look at certain people and certain types of evils, and, and we might say, well, man, I can tell you for sure I would never do anything like that. But did you know that under certain circumstances, you might very well find yourself doing the thing you swore you never would do? Or the thing that you thought, I don't even have a capacity for that? Or you'd be surprised at what people will do given the right circumstances because this is the condition of the heart. It is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked or incurably sick. Now, all the way back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord said something similar. It says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, what an indictment. Every intent of the heart was only evil continually. And now, as we just read here in our text, notice Jesus refers to evil thoughts, adulteries, sexual immorality, murder, these evil things come from within. Now, when you grasp that this is what the Bible teaches, it helps to understand why there's such opposition to the Bible coming from the culture. You see, because like I said, this is the dividing line between humanism and a biblical worldview. Now, now, when I say humanism, I'm talking about humanism in the sense of you know, what we know today as secular humanism. We can even call it atheistic humanism. And the philosophy is that you know, people are essentially good and our problems are all due to things outside of us. And whether it's, the, uh, whether it's economics or whether it's uh, the environment or whether it has to do with, with education or, or lack thereof, this is the view of the world, that people are basically good. And you just have to work hard enough to, you know, get down to that, that heart of gold that Neil Young was searching for all those years ago. <laughs> just keep searching for that heart of gold. Um, but but that's, that's the world's mentality. So when the Bible says, oh, no, no, that's, that's not reality. The, the human heart is deceitful, and that's where the conflict comes in. But look, you know, we, we put a lot of stock in empirical evidence. You know, science is based, you know, scientific facts are based on empirical evidence. Things that you can observe, things that you can see over and over again, repeated patterns and things like that. Well, guess what? The empirical evidence is that the Bible is right. 
because this is what we see coming out of the heart of man, coming out of our own hearts. I remember when I was young and I, you know, I, I, I kind of started on my uh, career of sin in my early teens. And, you know, up until that point, of course, I was a sinner and just like everybody else, and I did a lot of bad things. But, I, you know, I didn't think of them as all that bad. But, but I remember a point in my life where I really started to delve deeper into sinful behavior. And, and I started engaging in, in things that I seriously had previously thought I would never, ever do. And I remember like this moment of truth one time, I think it was about 17, I was at a party, I was drinking and, you know, carousing and all the stuff that you do at those parties. And I remember I, I walked into the bathroom and, you know, there in the bathroom, I, I glanced at myself in the mirror and all of a sudden I had this thought, a frightening thought, and it was, man, what are you becoming? And, and I was like, I got to get out of this bathroom. I got to get away from this mirror. This is frightening. But, but it was true. I, I, was, I was becoming somebody that I swore I would never be. But you see, that potential for all that evil was, was always residing there in me because that is the condition. And so the heart is corrupt. But notice the heart it's the, it's the corrupt heart that brings the defilement. That's what Jesus said here. Notice he said, all these things come from within and they defile a man. Now, the defiling is, is the actual engagement in the things that he's just described. So, you know, as long as these things never come out, you know, in, in one sense, the person doesn't appear to be defiled anyway because it's all hidden under the surface. And, and you can go on and appear to be a, a certain way, but what happens? These things eventually start to overflow and, and then the, de the defilement then is Present. These evils come from within and they defile the man. In other words, our actions proceed from our hearts. And it's, it's our actions that, that show the defilement, but, but they come out of the heart. Jesus said in another place, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he, he, in the context, he was talking about those who were, they were saying the right thing, but they were really evil and he said, how do you being evil, or how is it that you being evil, how, how is it that you're saying these, these, you know, these lofty, you know, seemingly good things? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so this is the teaching of Scripture. Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verses uh, 17 through 19, listen to what he said. He said, unbelievers are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over, so here it is, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So what he's saying is that because of the heart condition, there comes a point when they give themselves over to the sensuality. That's the defiling point that Jesus is talking about here. 
And so the heart is corrupt and defilement ultimately comes because of what is in the heart. So here's the question, what is the solution to this problem? You know, if, if this is really the problem in the world, how can it possibly be fixed? Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. Progressive Christianity undermines the authority of Scripture and redefines many essential truths of the gospel. With powerful insight and intellectual integrity, Elisa Childers compares and contrasts the historic Christian gospel with the progressive gospel, enabling you to wrestle with doubts of your own or the challenge of others to the historic Christian faith. The book Another Gospel by Elisa Childers is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.